Coming up on Nurse Talk, our annual State of the Nurses Union report from the nation's largest organization of registered nurses. Why a lousy dispute between two healthcare giants could cost Americans billions. Get ready for free bad advice from the old coots. And if someone ever told you not to eat raw cookie dough, the Center for Disease Control says they're right. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, one of the thousands of nurses on duty today, along with my co-host and senior correspondent for Healthcare in America, Donna Smith. Donna, welcome. Thanks, and hello, Casey, and hello, Nurse Talk listeners. And let's take a moment to thank some of our broadcast partners, including the Tom Hartman Program, Progressive Voices, TuneIn, iTunes, WFTE in beautiful Scranton, Pennsylvania, and all of our other listening platforms. Thank you. And Donna, let's not forget, you can listen to any of our shows and podcasts on demand at nursetalksite.com. Well, we have a great show today, starting with RN and co-president of National Nurses United, Deborah Berger. That's right, Casey, and Deborah will share with us the many accomplishments of the organization during this past year and why it's so important for patients and nurses alike to be informed about hospitals and the care they receive. And later, we'll be talking with three members of the self-proclaimed Old Coots. You heard it right. I said Old Coots. Get your questions ready because they give out bad free advice. I can't wait to talk to them. And you weren't talking about me. I have my question ready for them, so I hope they're good. They're not good. They admit they give bad advice. It can't be any worse than the advice I've been getting, so I'm ready to roll. That's so true. And on that note, Donna, it's time to push the buzzer under your desk. The buzzer came a little bit early. (laughs) You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Why not change to Camels for the next 30 days? and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment. See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. Donna, anyone that listens to our show knows we frequently talk about and to nurses from National Nurses United or NNU with more than 150,000 members in every state. NNU is the largest union and professional association of registered nurses in U.S. history. NNU was founded in 2009, unifying three of the most active, progressive organizations in the U.S. Combining the unparalleled record of accomplishments for nurses and patients embodied in the proud history of those nurses' associations, which for some span more than 100 years, the establishment of NNU brought to life the dream of a powerful national movement of direct care RNs. At its founding convention in December 2009, NNU adopted a call for action premised on the principles intended to counter the national assault by the healthcare industry on patient care conditions and standards for nurses and to promote a unified vision of collective action for nurses. Here to talk with us about that vision and how it continues to materialize is RN and co-president of NNU, Deborah Berger. Deborah, welcome to the show, and it's great to have you with us. 
Thank you. It's great to be with you guys, too. All right. Today, we want to talk about current factors such as hospital mergers and closures, political assaults on unions, the need for expanded and improved Medicare, protection against workplace violence, RN to patient ratios, and the state of our healthcare system in general. That together increase the urgency of RNs to stand in solidarity to protect and care for their patients. But first, Deborah, for our listeners who don't know about National Nurses United, we wanted to ask you a few questions. So just for clarification, NNU is a union for RNs. What do you say to someone who might think nurses don't need unions? Well, there are nurses that think that they can go it alone and think that they're able to advocate for their patients uh, without fear of retaliation. However, the research has shown that there are better outcomes, especially for uh, heart attacks and strokes and uh, post-cardiac surgery in cases where nurses are unionized. Belonging to National Nurses United does help us with the ability to speak with one voice in Washington, D.C. on issues that uh, relate to patient protections, workplace safety, workplace violence, and other issues that are important to nurses when they're providing care for patients. And it does provide the ability for nurses that belong to NNU to be active and involved in getting legislation put forward at the state capitol. The more nurses we have, the better our bargaining power when it comes to legislation. When a nurse or a group of nurses contacts NNU to organize, what are their main reasons to do so? What do they tell NNU? Well, what's interesting is that it's not about the pay. When nurses come to us and ask us to help organize them, the first words out of their mouth is that they want a larger voice in how patient care is delivered in their hospitals. The employers refuse to listen to their very simple demands to improve patient care. And so what they outreach to us for is to demand that the employers act on nurses' requests. And it is so heartwarming when you see nurses that get a union for the first time and finally are able to affect changes that they know will improve patient outcomes. And I want to go back just a second, Deborah, because you said that it is legal for hospitals to intimidate nurses into not having the union. That's so hard for me to get. Well, it is not legal for them to do that. What they're supposed to do is inform nurses of their rights to belong to a union or not. Under that guise of informing nurses, they use union-busting law firms to intimidate nurses, to have one-on-one meetings, to, quote, educate their nurses. And by the time we challenge their really cruel practices, the union has usually won the election. It is illegal for them to intimidate and harass nurses for their union activity. And the thing that you want to remember is where there is a larger number of union membership in a state, 
it actually improves patient care in the rest of the community because when we got ratios, we didn't get them just in the hospitals we represent. We got them throughout the entire state of California. When we got workplace safety protections and workplace violence protections, we got it for the entire state, not just in our unions. Nurses are continuing their incredible leadership on the national stage to improve and expand Medicare for All, a subject that you and I both uh, care very, very deeply about. Can you talk about the role National Nurses United is playing in the campaign to pass both national and single-payer state legislation? National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association have for decades fought for Medicare for All. And as a result of the presidential campaign in 2016 and the most recent elections in 2018, we've seen a growing demand for Medicare for All. When we first started, it took us a long time to explain what Medicare for All was, what we meant. Now when we talk about it, people understand without us having to explain it, and they are more involved in trying to get the process implemented to go to Medicare for All. So we've done a lot of education on Medicare for All, and now it's actually trying to get politicians elected and hold their feet to the fire to implement it, because we have a record number of sponsors of the Medicare for All legislation nationally, and the record number of people that were actually running on Medicare for All as their uh, platform, if they were elected, they wanted to implement. So as a result of our work, it's becoming more and more visible, and because of the pressure on the hospital industry to make even more money and the pharmaceutical industry's price gouging, it's been an easier um, path to get public support for Medicare for All. It's just changing the political will in Washington, D.C. You know, in January, the nurses will celebrate 16 years, and you probably know this better than anyone, of California's nurse-to-patient ratios bill. And now there's a national piece of legislation to do the same thing all the way across the country. Can you briefly tell us how patient ratios improve patient care? What ratios do is allows nurses the time to actually prepare a patient care plan for their patients tailored for them, and allows them to have time to think about necessary interventions that can make life-saving improvements in their care. And the difference in care between, say, California and New Mexico or Mississippi is that in California, nurses actually have time to think. They have their breaks. They have their meals. And they have time when they're covering other nurses' patients to do the work for that nurse while that nurse is on her break. So she doesn't come back with double the workload. In 2018, we saw the introduction of H.R. 7141, federal legislation to prevent workplace violence of healthcare and social services 
workers. NNU played a big role in the legislation, and I thank you so much for that. Why is this legislation necessary, and what will it achieve? The reason the legislation was necessary is that we have noticed a trend in the last 10 years or so, an increased threats to nurses and patient safety and making our patients the blame. We're trying to make sure that they're not the ones that become criminalized. We want to make sure that the employers are held accountable for staffing because that improves the safety of the workplace. Also, training and education to de-escalate very stressful and hostile situations. And we believe that if we have safe staffing, we have the ability for education and training and support staff and security, we can avoid criminalizing our patients, but at the same time, making sure that all of our healthcare workers have a safe place to work. We are involved in the national legislation for Medicare for All. It will be reintroduced in this next session. And we believe that even though Trump is still in office and even though the Senate is still controlled by the Republicans, we are going to make sure that we have the Medicare for All front and center as a part of the national debate in this coming year. That's so amazingly important, Deborah. and thank you for what you're doing and for what NNU has done, and thank you so much for being with us today. It's been my pleasure, and I'm always uh, really thrilled to be on and talk about these issues. It's really great. Thank you, Deborah. Okay, thank you. Coming up, the old coots giving bad advice. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio on Progressive Voices TuneIn and all of our broadcast partners. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Did you ever wonder what your healthcare premiums do pay for? Well, a big chunk of your money goes to marketing, advertising, lobbyists, outrageous salaries. Oh, yeah, profits. Imagine if all the money you pay every month just went to healthcare. Maybe then all of your healthcare needs would be covered all the time. We need California One Care. More for you, less for them. California One Care. Full care for all for life. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. <laughs> Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host, Donna Smith. I'm teasing This him. is from Margaret. My son is 16 and taller than me. Is he too old to smack in the head if he is disrespectful? What else can I do? Now, I don't think you can smack kids in the head like you used to be able to smack kids in the head, but you can give them a a little tap. Even if he's taller than you, you just have to maybe stand on a box. (laughs) Well, I grew up with twin brothers, so we were in trouble all the time. My dad was the old razor strap. Ouch. Smacked that thing by Mm. pulling the ends, you know. Never hit me with it, but... Was he a barber? (laughs) 
No. No, but I've been to their home before, and his wife Mary does that. He <laughs> runs in the bedroom and gets under the bed. Uh, it may be bad advice and bad jokes. But it's free. <laughs> That's right. They're the old coots giving bad advice, and they are with us today. They aren't a household name yet, but they're popping up everywhere because, well, people need advice, and apparently they don't care if it's good. (laughs) Casey, it all started when a group of retired friends who meet every Saturday morning at a Salt Lake City deli were growing tired of the same old conversation each week. Sure, they were solving the world's problems, but they wanted more excitement in their Saturday morning. They wanted to share their wisdom beyond their friend group of seven. As a lark, they set up a card table at the nearby Salt Lake City's Farmer's Market and told people they were dispensing free advice. And now we have the pleasure of their company. With us are three of the old coots, Chris Van Oker, Lou Borgenicht, and Carol Sisko. Welcome to you all, and thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, Carol, we'll start with you. How and why did this all start? It was kind of a lark at first. We thought we would rather sit in the park than over at the deli. And so we set up a booth, and they were going to call it old guys giving bad advice, but Tony thought to call me and said, what do you think? And you can imagine what I said, but then I suggested <laughs> Coots was less sexist. And he says, okay, and ran and had a poster made. And, Boom. and people just started showing up. I mean, some of them were just visiting Salt Lake. Well, can you get a drink here, or where can we eat, or where can we hike? Others, a lot of young men and women didn't know how to meet people. So I'd say, well, put your phone down a bit. What, <laughs> what do you like to do? Do you like to hike? Well, there's a club you can join. Do you like to do volunteer work? Here's some places you can volunteer. And the second week, one young woman came back with another, and she says, guess what? I went up to Wasatch Mountain Club, and I made a new friend. And we're going hiking by ourselves today, but we wanted to come see you first. Great. And it just went from there. And we got people like a man who was going blind. How do I learn to live with going blind? Well, we couldn't really answer that, but several of us, Lou and I mainly, knew about various services for the blinds that were available and talked to him about those. So it's just the whole gamut. Fantastic. Wow, that is fabulous. And Lou, how many are in the group? And since you call yourselves the old coots, What's the age range? Well, the old coots are basically four or five people, depending on who's available and not away for the summer, for the for a week. But um, I think I'm the oldest. I'm 75, and everybody else is from 59 up. Um, Chris Van Oka, the coot du jour, is really 59. When's your birthday? It was just a few weeks ago, in November, a- and thank you for the present. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, are you all retired, and what professions were you in? It's true. I am the youngest coot, 59 years old, and because of my relative youth and immaturity, they have made me a uh, coot in training. (laughs) And one of the great things, maybe the only great thing or good thing about the coots, is we've all got kind of varied and interesting backgrounds. Tony uh, claims to run the finest deli in Utah, Gus is a school teacher, or was a school teacher. Uh, Dr. Liu is one of the uh, preeminent physicians in Utah. And Carol and I are recovering journalists. <laughs> Barely recovering. Yeah, actually, I did my internship in San Francisco in 1970 in pediatrics and medicine. So can any of you answer this? What made you think you could go public with your old coot's advice? A moment of stupidity, probably. (laughs) But I think it also was 
people just glommed onto the idea. It was amazing. I mean, people said it was very natural and appropriate and sometimes very fu- humorous and also concrete. As, as Carol said, there were concrete and constructive answers, believe it or not, that we well, gave That's people. great. I think what also helped is what these kids call social media mm-hmm. is a lot of folks mm-hmm. wouldn't come up for advice, but a, a great number stopped with their phones, <laughs> took pictures and posted it on Instagram and Facebook and Reddit and Snapchat, I'm guessing, and that really kind of helped sell us. And well, people, and then yeah. um, the Washington Post has a reporter stationed here in Salt Lake. She's I don't know if she's with a stringer or if she's employed, but she suddenly wanted to do a piece on us. And it went, I mean, I had a friend call me and say, hey, you guys are in a newspaper in Taipei, according to my daughter. <laughs> so it, it just went nuts. That is incredible. Right, and then people would say things like after the Washington Post article came out. Yeah. So you all live in Salt Lake, Utah. Right. What are the best things about Salt Lake and what are the worst? Um, skiing's one of the best and hiking. I bet. Well, I think uh, besides this podcast being one of the worst, I mean, best thing <laughs> is uh, I grew up back east and for me i mean it's beautiful the mountains and we're very accessible to skiing and hiking but i've always found it a very easy place to live uh i this may not ring a bell with you in san francisco but housing is very affordable here and mm. traffic is very reasonable i can get, i live downtown and can get pretty much anywhere i need to go within a matter of minutes and find available and cheap parking and I use the light rail system within a couple blocks of my condo. Yeah, public transport is good. But I think the other really interesting thing, and I've been here since 1973, is that Salt Lake has grown up in a culturally expansive way. And uh, you can go do things that you would take hours to do in a city like New York or San Francisco. Joe Biden was here this week, and a whole bunch of us at the, med- at the uh, university got to hear him in a, in a big venue. But it's the cultural aspects are great. The negative thing, the only negative thing I would say, is the inversion, which we get a couple times a year. Well, the other bad thing is our legislature. <laughs> um, it's like... Oh, I would agree with you yeah, there, Yeah, the Carol. legislators yeah. from Salt Lake area are fine, but it's a lot... We've been quite gerrymandered, and, and so we have a lot of people who are very, 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 very conservative, and like we just passed an initiative to allow medical marijuana. Two days later, the legislature went into session and bagged it and said they're going to do something different. So it's, you know, that kind of stuff is appalling. It was a special session, they called. Even though the people voted for it, they just went and wiped it out. Right, the legislature called a special session, and they were not stoned. It's not (laughs) completely wiped out. They're making some modifications, so there will be far fewer places where people can get the marijuana um, they're restricting it to, I think, 21 and above so that if a, a teenager or a child is in desperate pain and dying, they can't have marijuana. It's kind of it's kind of mm. medical cannabis light. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was all medical <laughs> cannabis. No it's getting well. It's really light now. We want to talk a little bit more about the people who come to you for advice. And I think about this booth at your farmer's market every Saturday, and you offer free, but you say bad advice. But who asks you mostly? Is it you talked about young people and wanting perhaps to know where to meet people? Who are the prime people who come to you and, and want to hear you opine on things? It's a huge range of people. I I can't begin to describe it. Um, teenagers, um kids with relationship problems with their parents, 
a little girl who was terrified of her dolls. And her mom was, well, what can we do? And so I talked to the little girl, and I think Lou was in on this too, and said, hey, she wouldn't even go into her bedroom. Well, has mom moved them out? Well, yeah, but they're still there. I said, well, what if, you know, mom puts them in a big box and tapes it up really tight and puts it in either a basement or a garage, whatever you have? Would that help? And she kind of nodded her head, yes. And then I think Lou quietly said to the mom, you know, maybe she should get some count. You guys need some counseling on this. But it's things like that. That's yeah, there great. was a woman who came by one day and turned around and said, just tell me, do my shorts make my butt look big? And we all said, of course not. <laughs> that was... <laughs> you may be old coots, but you gave some good advice there. You're right. You're right. And somewhat surprisingly, we get a lot of relationship questions. Oh, yeah. That's Things like, should we get married? Or I've, I've been divorced three months. Can I start dating again? And uh, it's amazing. We would like to ask you some questions that our listeners sent in via text, and then you can all chime in. So I'll start from Madeline H. I am a single woman in San Francisco. How can I find a straight man? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a problem. I think that's why she's asking. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Well. So what would you tell her? I think I'm stymied on that one. Do you have an answer? (laughs) Yeah, but it's not politically correct. <laughs> we stumped the old coots? It's hard to believe. I, I would say move to Salt Lake, but Salt Lake has a significant gay population, too. Move so to it's... Salt Lake. <laughs> That's oh, no, good. actually, like our answer. city mayor is a lesbian. So, I mean, That's you know, we thing. do have quite a bit of diversity in Salt Lake itself. But, you know, I, yeah, I you don't do. know the answer. It's hard enough to meet a man when you're single anyway, but in San Francisco, where such a great number of the population are gay, I don't have a clue. <laughs> All right, next up, I'm in my second year of college, but I want to take a gap year. Do you know what a gap year is, and should I take one? Of course we know what a gap yeah. year is. Yeah, we know. <laughs> I wish I'd taken Dude, one. They know what Snapchat is. Right. I, I, knew, <laughs> I wish I'd taken one. I got, a, got out of college in 1964, but I don't think we had gap years. We were just like, I'm going to quit doing what I'm doing. And then you go do something for a year, but we didn't call it gap year. I think it really depends. I mean, obviously to the person, but it really depends on what you want to do. We have a lot of people or a fair number of people come up to us at the farmer's market and say, I'm thinking about leaving my job. I don't want to rush into another one. What should I do? And I think one of the common bonds of the coots, besides our fine sense of humor, is I think we all have a love of travel. So I think a number of times when we're asked about this, we say, absolutely, if you want to take some time off, do. But if you can afford it and you've got free time, travel as much as you can, especially when you're young. Oh, I concur. We're talking with three of the members of the self-proclaimed old coots. They offer bad advice, but it's free. You can find their podcasts on iTunes, and this summer, if you're in Salt Lake City, you can find them at the Farmer's Market. All right, old coots, we so enjoyed it. Anything else you'd like to share? No, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, uh, my our producer, Dylan, insists that in addition to old coots, I've got to mention that I've got a political podcast called the Van Oker Group, and we talk about both Utah and national issues, and we curse a lot. I love that. The Van Oker Group. Nice. That's fantastic. So just remember, you can tell your clientele to uh, send questions to us at oldcootsgivingbadadvice at gmail.com. 
and find us on Facebook or iTunes or any of those other things that I don't understand. And we're, we're available for weddings and bar mitzvahs right. <laughs> and other social functions. Wine tasting. <laughs> Wine tasting in Salt Lake. In I love Salt that. Salt Lake, yes. That's fun. <laughs> yes. I used to do circumcision. All right. Thank you, so. Chris, Carol, and Lou. And good luck to you. Come back and visit us anytime. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That music can mean only one thing. It's time for healthcare in America. Take it away, Donna. Cookie dough? You're going to attack cookie dough? Well, it's not exactly me attacking cookie dough, Casey. It's the federal health officials trying to tell us during this Christmas season of of making cookies and doing all sorts of wonderful holiday activities, we could get salmonella or E. coli if we eat raw cookie dough. Heaven forbid that we do something that generations of people have been doing in the United States and probably all over the world, but this year they say we have to be careful. We don't want to spend the entire holiday season hauled up in the bathroom going to urgent care or going to the ER. Yeah, but Donna, people have been doing this for at least 100 years since cookie dough's been on the market. In fact, some people buy it and eat it raw and always have. If you're like me, I lick the spoon in the bowl all the time. And nobody ever got and so sick far, from it. no illness. Exactly. Do they have any evidence that cookie dough is really harmful? Has anybody ever gone to the ER with uh, cookie dough poisoning? <laughs> Raw cookie they dough poisoning? The, the problem is the eggs, obviously. I and see. some recent occurrences of E. coli in flour, of all things. So they are concerned about what the, the individual ingredients in the cookie dough might do to us. But no, I didn't hear any citation of specific cookie dough injuries in this country. They might try taking on gun violence and leave cookie dough alone. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound and Taylor Lockard Research. And National Nurses United, and all the nurses on duty today, and of course, our listeners and our guests. Take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like our Facebook page at Nurse Talk.